0: Hello, and welcome to another edition of From the Newsroom, the podcast with the Holland Sentinel. I am reporter Arpan Lobo, and today, or tonight, I should say, I'm joined by our managing editor, Audra Gamble, and our executive editor, Sarah Leach. Audra, Sarah, how are you guys doing?
1: Tired, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is um, around 11.30 Tuesday night, and we just finished watching... The first of our set of presidential debates, and there's so much
2: happened, you guys. (laughs) Yeah, I feel like I've been. There's a lot to unpack.
0: There is, and you know, one of the reasons we're recording this on Tuesday, uh, very late Tuesday night, instead of waiting until Wednesday, is because uh, we had so much to talk about, and yet we couldn't figure out a time for us all to get together tomorrow. So we decided let's get this out now, and. Audra, we're coming off our first debate, as you mentioned. And, um, you know, typically we've done these podcasts for Democratic debates. We've done it after the DNC and the RNC. We've done it whenever our big candidates come into, you know, West Michigan. And typically our podcasts talk about what they talk about, the policy ramifications, kind of how things will look going forward. And uh, quite frankly, we don't have any of that tonight because uh, the way tonight went, was really unlike anything we've ever seen on the stage before. So kind of break down exactly what uh, what I'm trying to get here, Audra. <laughs> yeah,
1: um, so for those of you who had better things to do with your Tuesday night, um, I would say the vast majority of the time that Vice President um, Joe Biden and President Donald Trump were on the debate, space, debate stage was spent shouting over each other, and or Donald Trump being rep- reprimanded for talking over Joe Biden by the moderator Fox News' Chris Wallace. Um, and in between those moments of like, chaos and, and, like, ear assaults, <laughs> where you were just trying so hard for your brain to make sense of who was saying what, and... Gosh, what the heck the question even was to begin with, like where we got, you know, from from point A to point B, there was, you know, very little, I think, gleaned in terms of policy or, um, you know, anything other than than name calling and, and sort of shouting over each other like a kindergarten
2: classroom waiting for the bus.
0: You know, uh, that, that's a good way of, of putting it together. Um, and, and Sarah, this is something we mentioned before You know, we started recording. For a nation that's going through a, an unprecedented uh, health crisis, a racial tensions that we haven't seen in decades in this country, tonight wasn't exactly a display from the two prospective leaders, the current leader and then the person who's trying to replace him. Um, the two candidates on the ballot this November tonight's display wasn't exactly something that I think a lot of viewers could come away from reassured that you know their a sense of normalcy is fast approaching you mentioned that um, you know kind of in your viewing experience you were watching it with someone else and, and the takeaway the takeaways were kind of different from previous de- debates that you've watched what was that kind of like
2: well, I think that you know when I first started tuning into presidential debates, it was sometime around the uh, the Gore Bush era, and so that was probably the the first time that that we had seen some sort of um, cataclysmic event in terms of presidential elections that sort of set the tone for the past twenty years. But I think that what I have seen that is different now um, is that there is a lot of interrupting and talking over in terms of moderated debates but this this sort of was it it was beyond anything that I had ever seen in any vice presidential debate in any I mean any primary debate (laughs) this this was just far and away um, it was just absolutely chaos and really um, as you touched on people are very concerned we are in a time of crisis and multiple crises gripping the United States, we want answers, we, we seek reassurance, what we saw was really posturing between two candidates who were really trying to kind of jockey in position that it was very clear that bo- both sides were just trying to put themselves forward as somebody that, that could be, um, you know, a, a confident leader in times of, of uh, uncertainty. But they never really got into, they weren't even like uh, able to get into the specifics because they were so busy trying to kind of outmaneuver one another, which was really just a a terrible disappointment. Um, I happened to watch the debate with um, a relative of mine who happens to be of the baby boomer generation. And she was telling me as we were were watching, we, we had slightly different reactions as we were watching, but she was saying that. She was concerned going into the debate that all of the commentary that she had heard about Joe Biden's um, ability to speak eloquently, to be able to to, um, really stand up to um, a a confident President Trump, she was concerned that he wouldn't be able to hold his own. Um, She also was concerned that Trump was going to say something extremely concerning or offensive during the debate. And I think she ended up, leaving the debate saying I was um, I was pleasantly surprised by Biden's performance, and I was sadly um, validated with Trump's performance. So that was sort of the, the takeaway from what my living room was like.
0: Right. And I think we can get into kind of the two performances from two distinctly different candidates. Um, Audra, we were talking about this, you know, kind of throughout the night over our work chat, and it's Something to where the the two candidates tonight, we talk about how the country is uh, divided in ways that it hasn't been in a very long time. Tonight's display was kind of an example like that. You had two very contrasting performances. And for President Trump and Joe Biden, the, the kind of way they went about the actual debate was as different as their platforms. Can you kind of get into that?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I think even in terms of who the candidates were were speaking to was vastly different. You know, when when Donald Trump was was shown on on the stage, often he was facing directly toward um, Joe Biden. You know, like like physically turned toward Joe Biden, and he was addressing him very personally, um, very directly. You know, kind of. A, a lot of I statements, he kept talking about my office, referring to the Oval Office, um, rather than, I mean, you know, in theory, the White House is is the people's house and, and all of that. You don't typically hear a lot of presidents referring it to as their own personal office. Um, and and then when, you know, they, they would switch to Joe Biden, often, it felt like Joe Biden was trying really hard to pretend like, Donald Trump wasn't on the same stage as him. Uh, it, it felt a lot of the the time that Joe Biden did have the opportunity to to make some sort of you know policy statement or or a full sentence. Frankly, <laughs> um, they were addressed directly to the viewers at home into the camera. He really didn't spend a lot of time, you know, physically facing Donald Trump or um, you know trying to you know, address individual insults or, or things like that, unless they were um, a couple of moments kind of geared toward member of members of, of Joe Biden's family and, and that sort of thing. Um, but it really felt like, you know, for Joe Biden, it was an opportunity for him to try to get a message out to people sitting at home, you know, watching on their televisions. And Donald Trump used it as an opportunity to get in the same physical space as Joe Biden and try to um, you know, knock him off of off message, and, and also try to push him farther left than perhaps um, you know Joe Biden's actual policy stances are.
0: Right, I think we saw a lot of that from President Trump. He kept on bringing up different what well, it was, and it was for almost every single policy uh, question, whether it was ra- race, uh, racial tensions, or the economy, COVID nineteen response. Um, the environment, it was constantly, and, Trump, and President Trump kept bringing up, oh, you better be careful what, you, what you'll say because you'll alienate the radical left. He kept on bringing up Bernie Sanders, and Biden made it to a point. He, not and
2: he was Bi- not on the debate stage.
0: Biden, <laughs> made, Biden made it a point to say, I beat Bernie Sanders, and Biden said, and I quote, I am the Democratic Party. It was very, you know. Sheev Palpatine of him for you know the three of you that will get that reference. Um,
1: I appreciate that, our fans. <laughs> uh, it,
0: it was something to where he forced Biden to kind of play his game a little bit, and it was something to where I don't know if that's something Biden prepared to do. I mean, you mentioned you know Trump physically facing him, and it was kind of different. I remember in 2016 the, the moments where he he kind of followed Hillary Clinton around the debate stage, and I oh. I was glad they stayed in one spot tonight instead of the two candidates moving around. But um, as we kind of get into you know the meat of what we were actually you know here to do tonight, which was debate the issues that are on the election uh, or on the ballot this election, it was a lot of different topics attempted to come up. There was the Supreme Court and its role in deciding elections. There were, as we mentioned, race relations, the COVID nineteen pandemic, the economy. The environment. One uh, notable thing that uh, I think took place tonight was when Chris Wallace was asking uh, about the racial tensions that have taken place in the U.S. over the summer. And in, in leading. it's not just something that happened this summer, but leading up, a lot of things kind of boiled over this summer. We've seen protests and in some cases even riots. Um, he asked President Trump if he could disavow White supremacists, and it it was something to where, and President Trump said, "Oh yeah, name them. I'll I'll condemn them right here." But there was one kind of line that really stood out to me, and the reaction that's coming out of this uh, particular line um, could be telling for some. Um, President Trump uh, said the words should stand down and be on or, and stand by, referring to. Militia groups um, that have, I think that was referring to the Proud Boys, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. And we here in Holland have some recent, you know, coverage history of that particular group. its a, it, They're classified as a hate group. Um, and the Proud Boys themselves on the social media app Parler, which is used for some people that um, might have been uh, turned off by some of Facebook and Twitter's, you know, Policies on hate, hate speech on Proud Boys or on Parlor, the Proud Boys were celebrating this line uh, of stand by and looking at it as it looking at it as a kind of call to action. Sarah, what's just kind of the reaction to those particular words from President Trump and just kind of what, what was your initial reaction when you heard that?
2: Well, I think that it's just it's more doublespeak, you know. It's 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 still kind of you know building off of the reaction to you know the Charlottesville um, protests and and subsequent um, violence, and when President Trump had an opportunity to address what happened, he said, you know, at first he said, "Yes, this is very wrong. It's um, it's not okay," and then and then he. I think that one of the traps that Trump tends to fall into, and I don't know, I mean, if this is intentional or not, or if it's just sort of a circumstance of what his personality is, but he ends up kind of over-talking a point to the point where he ends up actually walking back what he originally says. And so he ends up talking himself into a place where he he ended his comments by saying, well, there are good, fine people on both sides. And then, of course, he was... Highly criticized in the media for saying that in the context of this situation, um, when we're talking about groups that are designated as by multiple um, credible institutions as um, you know hate hate groups and have hate speech, um, that he had an opportunity to be very decisive in terms of what his message was, and then he wasn't. He's basically validating and and you know al- allowing a certain um, uh, credibility to some of these organizations, which then emboldens them to, to act even even more so and to, to take their actions to a point where, you know, they're, they're pushing the boundaries of what's allowed and what's not. And so I think that that kind of is what happened here, where he was, he was afforded the opportunity to be pretty decisive about this. And for whatever reason, he kind of squandered it because he, he just, you know, he, he said, yeah, I will, I will denounce it right now. And then, unfortunately, he said, Prod boys, great. They can stand by and and, and stand down." And and, for, and I and I remember thinking in that moment that that is completely you know not even even like what he said a moment ago. So it's just more of kind of you know. And this is typical of him in his leadership style. It seems to work for his base. But I think that as somebody who's sort of like a, a a moderate voter, I I just feel like this is a very disconcerting message to to send to you know the majority of Americans.
1: Yeah, it's a little bit like you know Chris Wallace sort of sort of teed this up and said you know here's your opportunity, Donald Trump, right here, right now, in in plain English, say that you don't have affiliation with these groups, and it's kind of like watching an eight-year-old walk up in a t-ball game and just like totally whiffing it (laughs) like it was set up so perfectly for him to to say to you know in in general the first debate is the highest watched debate in in these series of debates and you know in this large audience in, in this national space he didn't say the words that he needed to say and in fact you know, pushed forward a a particular organization that, that, like Arpan said, is is classified as a hate group. And it's, you know, it's, it's definitely kind of one of those things where there's a missed opportunity to appeal to those individuals that he may have swayed in 2016 and vitally needs to sway again in order to maintain the presidency. And, you know, when I talk about those specific groups of people, especially those individuals are white, middle-class, middle-aged women. Uh I I don't necessarily think that Donald Trump did himself any favors tonight specifically in that group of women. And, you know, I think you and I, Sarah, as, as, you know, women in in the professional workforce are very much so aware of how often at, you know, in a workplace – we have that experience of being shouted over the whole time and not being able to get any point across mm-hmm. and then coming home. And for a lot of women that happens at home too with spouses. And I don't necessarily think that Donald Trump repeatedly making it so that no one could understand what was going on and no points from either candidate or heck, even if, you know, Chris Wallace was trying to, to phrase something, you know, I think that that will continue to, make it more difficult for, for Trump to sort of reappeal to those individuals that he so desperately needs, particularly in the Midwest, because those, you know, Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, white women in these three individual states were crucial in 2016, and I think he didn't do himself any favors with with that group.
2: Right, yeah, and I, and I think that um, one of the things that, that you touched on was um, the the shouting over, I think you know going into this debate, it you know Biden is leading nationally in polls, and we can get into the into the weeds in terms of you know the the path to the electoral college, um, and individual states, but nationally he is leading in the polls, and so a lot of analysts were saying going into this debate that this was the moment where Trump. Needed to try to position himself to disrupt that that lead to try to kind of eat away at Biden's, um, you know, uh, you know, lead going into the election. I'm not sh- really sure that he was really effective in doing that. Um, and then you you mentioned you know like the, the the talking over. One of the points that I ended up, I ended up pausing the debate at some point, and I looked over at my baby boomer relative, and I said. You know, one of the things that strikes me as similar and also contrasting to 2016 is that we saw a lot of the talking over in 2016 between Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. Um, However, when Trump would say something that was a little bit more flamboyant and outlandish, um, by the way, my personal take is that Trump seemed a little more bitter um, in in this particular debate versus 2016. Um, I, I think that there, there was this moment where Biden um, kind of chuckled to himself. He's looking down at the podium. He's got this big grin on his face. He's kind of shaking his head, going, "You know, oh, you know, oh, this guy, you know, uh, you, you can, you can, it, it resonates with you."
0: Clinton
2: yeah, and and to you know, shut up. Yeah, but but Clinton ended up having the same reactions. I remember in twenty sixteen, and I remember my myself as a as a person and as a voter and also the people that I talked to had a completely different reaction to Clinton having the same mannerisms and I'm one you know like so I'm kind of doing like this little like personal introspection here because I'm just thinking was it because she was the candidate that she was was it the dynamics of that particular election was it because she was a woman and he was a man I'm not really sure but you know I do, I, I ended up kind of like doing like a little bit of like you know, it, you know, it, looking inside of myself going, it's amazing to me that I'm having a different reaction to this candidate doing the same behavior that I saw four years ago, even though I, if I really think about it, I kind of felt the same way in terms of the reaction to what Trump was saying between 2016 and 2020. Um, so I, so that that's a little bit of, you know, food for thought for what it's worth.
1: Yeah, I, I did want to note, Sarah, you know, you made a really good point about that, that sort of Momentum stoppage that was the goal, I think, for the the Trump campaign tonight. I think it to a certain extent, um, particularly in the fundraising category, perhaps the effect was the opposite. Uh, You know, it's very early on that the debate just ended a little while ago, but the initial reports are saying that from 10 p.m. till 11 p.m., so the debate was still going on for about half of that, and then you know, the sort of punditry circle that goes on, uh, the Biden campaign raised $3.8 million in fundraising tonight, which is a a record for them for the most money raised in a single hour. So, you know, maybe the case to be made is Trump is a really good businessman funding for the other side. (laughs) Um, It's, it's interesting to see, you know, that sort of initial reaction of, um, you know, the, the Google search trends and, and the fundraising dollars that come in for that immediate response from the, the general public, rather than that sort of talking head punditry that happened afterward, that was incredibly strong and incredibly opinionated. We heard some really strong language on, um, you know, on, on CNN, we heard it on ABC, um, Dana Bash, called the, the night a quote-unquote shit show. She said that word on, you know. On yeah,
2: I remember Trump got the word bastard through the filters, too. Yeah. And I and I remember stopping going, oh, my gosh, like, do they not have this on a 10-second delay in order to filter for these kinds of things? It, shocked, it Frankly, it shocked me.
1: Yeah, I, I wanted to run through, too. You know, on ABC, they said it was, um, quote, the worst presidential debate in the history of the country. And then Jake Tapper on CNN also said it was a, quote, a hot mess inside a dumpster fire inside a train wreck. <laughs> End quote.
2: <laughs> um, they're, like, they're not wrong. Yeah,
1: <laughs> I yeah. feel like it sums up the uh, you know the mood of the night. Um, but it you know it's interesting seeing some conversations happening now about well, what do we do now? We still have two more of these,
0: <laughs> right? And, and yeah,
1: we're, yeah, there were a lot of questions about the moderator's skills or methods and shoot, do we even have two more of these things? And I know Arpan, you know, you, you, um, had some, some thoughts earlier about some, some possible fixes going forward to make it a little more palatable.
0: Well, I think this is a tested method. Uh, the show around the horn, which has been on ESPN since, for as long as I can remember, there's a simple mute button, And it works, Uh, you know, you're muted for 10 seconds uh, and Tony Reale, you know, gets to hear what the other person has to say. But you bring up just kind of the overall tone of of the night. And that that brings up something I wanted to get to was a couple of immediate reaction polls that were done by some outlets. This is a um, CBS News poll among debate watchers. 83% uh, had or thought the tone of the, the debate was negative with the 17% positive, and I even one local legislator um, in our area even tweeted, 17% seems high.
1: <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say.
0: <laughs> so uh, here is um, another poll, same group, and uh, I'm not sure how they did this one because this adds up to greater than 100, but the how did the debate make you feel? 69% of respondents said annoyed. 31% said entertained, which is okay. Wow. Okay, sure. Maybe some people view this as games, but uh, 19%. That they're Fight Club,
2: fight
1: club yeah, fans. It's like
0: an like a Andy Cohen reunion show on Bravo. Uh, okay. <laughs> uh, 19% said pessimistic, and 17% said informed. There might be some overlap with those people that are informed and had a positive view. If we want to get into polls about how this, how people view the overall results, according to a, this is also CBS. Forty-eight percent thought Biden won tonight's debate. Forty-one percent thought Trump won tonight. uh, Tonight's debate. Ten percent saw it as a tie. As we kind of get into the overall discussion around these debates and the formats, and next Wednesday there will be a vice presidential debate between Kamala Harris and Mike Pence, who are to their credit two solid debaters solid speakers from what we've seen of them, and we have two more uh, presidential debates on October 15th and October 22nd. What are the benefits of trying to get away from maybe a spot where, one thing I noticed tonight is we didn't have any opening or closing statements. We kind of just let Chris Wallace, and Wallace himself chose the questions. Um, We kind of just let, okay, we'll have two-minute open discussion. Do you think that maybe we can get back to a more maybe closed-circuited discussion to where it's like, you have a minute to speak. And then your other candidate gets 30 second, um, rebuttal instead of kind of the theme of the night seemed like two minutes here, two minutes there, two minutes here, two minutes there. And you had to focus on the question. And that was something Chris Wallace said, Oh, I asked you about this. And even though Biden and Trump both said, well, I want to respond to that. And it didn't really seem to get off the tracks.
1: You know, I think to a certain extent, it's a little bit of a fool's errand. Um, I don't necessarily know that w- without having the ability to just turn off individuals' mics, Chris Wallace could have done more to, to gain control quicker, faster, more often, You know, however you want to phrase that. I think it's, one, too big of a job for a single moderator, um, and two, incredibly easy for Donald Trump to just continue his thread of fake news, fake media, all of this is, you know, a lie when it's just journalists, um, you know, throwing the questions his way. I think it may be slightly more successful if it's more of a town hall-esque style in which, you know, it would have to be via submitted video questions or something for, you know, COVID restrictions, but I think it would be more difficult, um, for Donald Trump to just sort of, you know, talk over and and sort of take over the the stage if the questions are being fielded by actual voters, actual Americans with legitimate concerns about, you know, whatever their their place in life is and it would give an actual audience rather than two individuals just kind of talking across or over each other on a stage. I don't necessarily know that there would be zero you know, talking over each other, but I think having a more pointed um, audience and, and kind of visual of, of who this is all really for may be helpful, but it definitely is, it, like it's just too big of a job for one, one individual, no matter who that, that anchor is or moderator is, to, to handle that much chaos.
2: Yeah, I, I think that there's been an evolution, you know, obviously in the past 30, 40 years with the advent of the internet and all of the additional news sources that came with it. We used to look at people who were anchors of, you know, the the trusted networks of television to be these kind of gatekeepers, you know, these these bastions of integrity to be able to moderate these debates historically obviously, things have changed. Um, I think that things have accelerated over the past couple of years, uh, specifically with um, a lot of uh, journalism and journalistic practices being called into question um, with the current administration. So that has made it a little bit tougher to be able to have somebody who's in that position to be able to, number one, be credible um, across uh, broad you know, swaths of the country who would be able to see this person as a legitimate moderator. And two, we have this model where it, it, I I feel like with every presidential debate cycle that I have viewed, it has devolved a little bit more where, you know, we're chipping away at um, the, what the two campaigns agree to the, the time that they agree to, they're interrupting one another. I mean, this isn't the first time that we've seen that kind of behavior. I would, I would argue that this is probably the worst, um, uh, case that I've seen, uh, you know, in in the time that I've been paying attention. But um, I think that we really kind of need to relook at this model and see what would be most effective. Because campaigns are agreeing to what this what this is, and then they just basically do whatever they want. I mean, Joe Biden tended to not be as egregious in that behavior as Trump, but. There's nothing that's stopping candidates from from engaging in these types of tactics. And they're going to do whatever it takes in order to appeal to base, in order to try to, you know, come out as the more confident leader, whatever it takes to undercut, you know, whoever their opponent is, regardless of who their party is. I, I just feel like this is sort of an outdated model that needs to be rethought because I just I just feel like people just don't respect it. The candidates don't respect it. I don't think that, you know, the American people are really getting a lot out of it
0: an interesting uh, kind of point that you bring up right there at the end. What are the American people getting out of it? We've crossed over midnight here uh, in our neck of the woods. So I guess to get out of here really quickly, I guess we'll go around the table, uh, the virtual uh, Google Hangouts table, um, really quickly uh, to get out of here. What were your biggest takeaways from tonight's debate? Audra, we'll start with you
1: you know, I think my biggest takeaway is that it wasn't helpful. Uh, I don't, I don't think that there was very much to, to kind of glean in terms of the, the few undecided voters. I don't know that this helped them at all. And I also don't necessarily know that it was helpful in terms of, you know, calming any of the fears that, that voters have about, will my vote count? Will my voice be heard? Do, will I feel represented? You know, I, I'm not really sure that any, any of those fears, were addressed. It all just felt like it was kind of, you know, that, that continuous whirlwind that, that 2020 has brought. And it was just yet another kind of feather in that cap of horribleness. It, it it didn't further the discussion and it was, you know, concerning too on a, on an international level of gosh, this is something that people all of the, over the world turned into, and this is, you know, the example of debate and, and conversation happening in the country, and I certainly hope that there are, you know, and know that there are individuals having, you know, more calm and courteous conversations with each other about important topics in our democracy, but this, this, this was not it, fam. This was not the... The, you know the model to be shown to the rest of the world that, that America prides itself on on being as that you know beacon of, of light and democracy. I think this was
2: quite the opposite.
0: Sarah, anything to add?
2: Well, I think that we saw kind of um, a reboot of 2016 in terms of we saw a career politician, up against um, somebody who's a little bit more of a of an upstart, um, disruptive force, and that can be you know for good or for bad, you know, depending on how you look at it. I think in the positive column, I think that Biden was going into this debate where he had to somehow walk in there and try to evoke any kind of confident confidence level in his ability to stand up to a personality, personality like Trump who tends to be a little bit more erratic and volatile, which can, again, it can be a positive thing depending on how you look at it, um, but it was kind of like bringing a knife to a gunfight in, in, in some ways because Trump just basically um, tr- hit his whole M.O. in the entire debate was to disrupt and so he just kept on talking over, interrupting. Biden often had interrupted thoughts. He kept on, um, you know, asking the moderator for to, to intervene. Um, you know, I felt very bad for Chris Wallace because I feel like 15 percent of the debate was between Trump and, and Chris rather than with Biden. Um, I think that that reflected poorly on Trump because I think that he needed to be debating the person that he's actually running against. And stop fighting these these fights with the media, and you know how he's uh, he beleaguered with you know false accusations. I don't think that those kinds of things it pandered to base, but I don't really think that it helped him in the in the larger demographic of voters who he really needs to appeal to. Um, and honestly, nothing really got to the level of of, of because nobody was really respecting the rules. Um, we didn't really have like a, like a meeting of the minds to have like a, a a professional articulate debate where the voters could glean what the candidates were about. We never got really into the points of the issues. And so, you know, I hope that that's what happens in the second and or third debate, but, um, really this was all about, you know, style and tone. Um, so I guess that's probably the most positive takeaway that I can take is that that's, that we've really learned from, from these two candidates tonight.
1: Yeah, I'll be very interested to see what that tone is and, and how much more into um, policy we'll get in the vice presidential debate, which will be a little bit of an odd situation because it's like having, you know, proxies present policies to the nation. And, and obviously, you know, if you're, if you're on the ticket as a vice presidential candidate, you know, you're, you're on board with all of these policies, but it'll be a little interesting for, for those who are still trying to make up their mind or may have not been as, as in tune with all of the buildup, too, that perhaps the first time that people are hearing, you know, in-depth policy bullet points will be from not the candidates themselves next week.
0: I think so, too. Um, and I guess just to get out of here, you know, we've talked so much about how this kind of whirlwind feeling and this, we really, really couldn't parse anything from this. The one thing, however, that's sticking in my mind is that president Trump couldn't condemn white supremacy. I, I think that's something that at least for me personally, I'm going to remember for a long time because this was, you brought up the t-ball analogy. This was uh, on a as slow slowest pitch of as possible. And, uh, for whatever reason, uh, the president refused to knock it out of the park. So I guess that's my biggest takeaway. Anyway, we've gone a bit longer than normal. Uh, We thank you all for tuning in and listening. Uh, We'll be doing these again following the VP debate and the next two presidential debates. Um, So for our managing editor, Audrey Gamble, and our executive editor, Sarah Leach, I'm reporter Art Pan This has been another edition of From the Newsroom with the Holland Sentinel. Thanks for listening.